What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 169. We are back. Our first show in like three weeks. That's normal. Josh Calvin, Oklahoma City. Ryan Chapman and more. John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Who have you recovered? That's the first question. Yeah, I've recovered. My car has (laughs) not been started since I got back from uh, Miami, uh, Miami, Orlando, uh, seven days ago. It has not been started. It has not been moved. It has not been... I got into it today to get my studio lights out, and that was it. That's the first time I've been in my car since last Wednesday. Got in a little after midnight. After leaving Orlando at like 8 in the morning the day before. <laughs> I guess it was that day. It felt like the day before. Uh, cool trip home, though. I stopped at, uh, right at right before sunset, stopped at um, Tupelo, Mississippi. And Elvis Presley's birthplace is right on the highway almost, like two miles from the, from the highway. So <clears throat> so that was cool. I uh, got to see Elvis's uh, birthplace. Humble little home. Little statue they put up. It's a cool little thing. The rest of that whole deal was an absolute nightmare it was the heaviest i was in southern georgia it was the heaviest rain i've ever seen in my life and i'm not a young man so uh we were just we were driving along everybody doing about 60 miles an hour hoping that nobody had crashed in front of us because you couldn't see anything it was a rough trip home yeah monsoon season in georgia is no joke i've experienced a couple of summers there where basically everyone just puts their hazards on and it's going 35 and it yeah it's you don't actually know if the car in front of you is on the road you don't know if you're off what's happening but uh, the real question I think that everyone's trying to get to, boss, last we left you, last we left our hero, at least as far as the listeners know, Josh and I, the worst employees slash friends in the world, look up at 3.30 in the morning in a shoddy part of Orlando, Florida and go, all right, your car's dead. We got to Uber to the hotel to the airport. Yeah. Uh, See ya. <laughs> you're here, obviously. We, we've had text conversation, but... Uh, what 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 happened with your car? Are you good? Like obviously you got back. What went down? It's okay. So it's still a relatively new vehicle. Uh, the battery is less than three years old. You know, it's a 2019. I don't know because uh, because <laughs> we drove around Orlando for a week. You know, it wasn't like the drive the from Tulsa the night before killed it. But yeah, a guy showed up. AAA guy showed up, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, you got a dead battery." I'm like, "How could I have a dead battery?" Everything was off, Ryan. I've never seen a dead battery where literally every component of the car was off. So that was wild. Um, yeah, it was a sketchy part of town. Uh, there were people, they, believe it or not, it was 3.30 in the morning. There were people walking around outside my car. All I could think of was, I wish I'd brought my gun. I wish I'd brought my gun. I wish I'd brought my gun. <laughs> It was scary, man. It was, uh, it was, it was. because my windows were all fogged up. I couldn't see anything except ghostly figures moving around the edge of the perimeter. I'm like, you have got, I'm going to die in Orlando, Florida, outside the camping world stadium. <laughs> well, at least there was that one police officer that was like in the next lot over that saw us milling around your car for like 20 <laughs> minutes, clearly dead. And he's just yeah. like, y'all good. <laughs> yeah. Got he didn't care. <laughs> Yeah, no, we we documented up to that point on last week's show of just after that big long game, we got locked in the stadium and we come out and whose car is dead and who and I have or Ryan and I having to hustle to make our flight, which is so stupid. And then, (laughs) yeah, we didn't know where it picked up from there. So obviously you made it. You got through the rest of the week, which is something and you made it home, which was rookie. You didn't have much of a choice, I guess, but kind of gutsy to drive the same vehicle home after that. It was fine after that. Got a jump start from the AAA guy. 
not another problem. You know, I stayed for the all American bowl. So I was there for another five days, not a problem. The rest of the trip, not one like, Oh, is it going to start today? It just started right up every time. So mm. yeah, I got up uh, the final day and I was like, Oh, this is it. The, the acid test. Cause I'm not shutting it off when I get on at the gas stations, you know, the coffee shops, I'm not shutting it off. I left, I left it running from the time I left Orlando to the time I got home in Tulsa left it running. So, uh, rookie mistake by me though, man, I've got like those little portable chargers that you plug into the wall and then you take with you in your trunk. Right. I didn't bring one. Oh. If I had brought one that would have, uh, that would have gotten us out of trouble. That's all the guy did was hook up one of those little portable chargers and fired right up. Yeah. Well, we're glad you made it. No worst. Survive the trip. Um, it's been, um, it's almost been two weeks since the game, which is kind of wild, the bowl game um, already. Cause it feels like it still just happened. I still yeah. feel like Ryan and I pulled it all nighter. Like I still haven't quite caught all the way up. Um, and so we're settling back in and uh, football season's in the rear view, but man, probably the most packed show and busiest week we've had in, in a while. I mean, we have so much to talk about on the show, so we'll go ahead and uh, get into it. Cause there's a lot of ground to cover. And we'll try and hit at least all the, the biggest things, which is a lot of things, uh, on the show here. Let's start with, uh, I think, probably the biggest piece of news. And it, it was expected, but it's official that Dylan Gabriel is back. So the lefty, the UCF transfer, kind of an uneven first year-ish. You know, some people are, are really banging the drum or gung-ho on, look at his numbers, look at his stats. Other people kind of more like watch the games. You can see that he leaves something to be desired. One way or another, he's back. So you should start in quarterback next year. Jackson Arnold's coming, and we've talked all about that potential. Could there be any kind of controversy there? Well, we're going to get to see it play out because Gabriel is going to be back. Pretty big, though. I mean, even somebody who's been a Gabriel critic like myself, you need him back. I mean, the rest of the room is so thin outside of, you know, obviously you're bringing in true freshman Jackson Arnold, and you needed him back. I mean, that, that goes without saying, at least in my opinion. Congratulations to Dylan uh, for his – season and his announcement and his ability to come back. I don't know what his options were. I don't know that, like you said, Josh, I don't know that we expected anything else. He, he, he could have, I think he's graduated. He could have gone anywhere he wanted to, uh, that, that needed a quarterback, needed a left-handed quarterback. Right. But just in terms of his, you know, Hey, am I going to go pro? No, not going pro this year. Uh, Hey, am I, is, uh, you know, all these other schools after me? No, not really. Um, I'm sure they'd take you and let you compete for the job and maybe be a backup at some of those schools and, and win the job at other schools. There's no doubt, but he's got a pretty good gig at Oklahoma and, and he, he would have been absolutely thick headed to, to say, okay, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to explore my options. What? Uh, you know, I'm not sitting here saying Oklahoma is the nirvana of college football for all quarterbacks, but I thought he made some real strides this year. Um, got more consistent toward the end of the season, I think, than he was certainly uh, down in Fort Worth and, and you know, a couple of times before that, a couple of times after that. But, yeah, just in general, man, it's like Oklahoma absolutely needed Dylan Gabriel back, absolutely needed a quarterback with some experience who knows how to uh, – knows the offense. He'll be better next year than he was this year, more familiar with Jeff Lebby and uh, – protection schemes and, and run route trees that, uh, that, that exist in Levy's offense. That's a good thing for Oklahoma. Uh, you don't want to go into a college football season with a true freshman as your top candidate, even if a true freshman is Jackson Arnold, who yeah. I got to watch close up and I think is going to be the real deal. 
he's not going to be ready to do that in 2023. Yeah. And what was a huge talking point with the defense this year, all the way back into the spring fall camp preseason, Brent Middles is like, okay, well it's a different animal when you've got guys that have been there, been in the system. And while you're getting your coaching points on the field, you have film, all that to a certain extent, you need a Danny Stutzman to be able to turn to a, a Kip Lewis or a Kobe McKenzie and say, Hey, I noticed you're doing this. We need it to be done like this. And that's exactly the dynamic you're going to get now with Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold. Who better to help Jackson Arnold learn the Jeff Philby offense than a guy that's been in it a ton in Dylan Gabriel. So that makes a ton of sense. He'll have actual competition behind him this year, right? You, I know I've said this joke a lot, but you feel like whether it's Davis Bevel in year two, because we saw what he did in year three in the Peach Bowl in one offense, he was serviceable against Michigan State. Whether it's that or whether it's Jackson Arnold, you feel like Jeff Levy will trust one of those guys to throw the ball forward if it's not Dylan Gabriel. So you have actual competition to, to come in, help that out. And just the, the big thing, too, is, is not just the who of what you touched on with the transfer stuff. We, we know Dylan Gabriel's a guy with NFL aspirations. Anyone that plays quarterback in Oklahoma, someone that has NFL aspirations. What bigger red flag could you have as a GM to say, okay, you're at UCF. The two big questions around you are, one, you're short. That's not really a question. That's just GMs being GMs. And then, two, can you take that step up? You step up to Oklahoma, and then your next move is to transfer down to somewhere that's not Oklahoma, not at that level. That's going to create a ton of questions. So if Dylan Gabriel truly wants to pursue the NFL, that's just not an option. So landing back in Norman is what made sense. Um Like, like you said, Hoove, good for him to kind of build that. And I think this is what you're going to see more and more, that – with NIL, you're building a brand. He has his own brand, the DG brand, all that stuff. And so I think that's why you've seen announcements for guys with no eligibility left that are saying, hey, thank you to the fans, kind of a thank you note, and also I'm declaring for the NFL draft. I think that's why you're seeing more and more in-house Oklahoma football edits of Woody Washington saying I'm coming back, Isaiah Coe saying I'm coming back, and now Dylan Gabriel. I, I think that's just something that we should get used to. Yep, I agree. My question is, do you guys think Austin Stogner know that he's, knows that he's now the third-string quarterback? Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if he knew that when he signed up, but uh, I'm sure that Brain Willis has passed that along. Yeah, no, just 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 joking. Calm down, people. Hopefully it uh, doesn't come to that again. Uh, we saw that <laughs> enough. Um, I'm going to be interested in that, too. That That's going to be – we have time to talk about it when we get there, spring ball, what have you, but if, if they – if they let Arnold be the backup, uh, you know, on the depth chart, or if that's still Bevels, and then we'll see if they actually honor that when we get there, kind of a thing. If it, if that situation arises, and we'll talk about that more later on. But yeah, Gabriel's back. It just made the most sense. I mean, it there was no. This was the he was always coming back, and it, it made sense for all parties. And they need him. And um, if he wants to have a future, this is the best spot for him to do it. And uh, for what it's worth. Uh, Stats of War, if, if you know him on Twitter, Parker, he does a great job with advanced analytics, stuff like that. Um, he tweeted out PFF's offensive grades for Big 12 quarterbacks in 2022, including postseason games. Mr. Gabriel, number one in the Big 12 at 87.0. Wow. Max Duggan's performance against Georgia dropped him to an 83.0. So... That's bowl performances or season including bowl performances? It, it, it's season including postseason games. It's the wow, entire season including the postseason games. So for Gabriel, that's the that's, growth that I talked about. That's the progress that I talked about. You could see it last half of the season where he was much more comfortable and much more confident. Yeah. And so, 
look, PFS not the end all be all, but it is one measuring stick that we have, a, a resource that we have. So that's a group of people that have that. I, the biggest thing for Dylan Gabriel is uh, it'll be interesting to see if in Everest Indoor, if they can create adverse weather situations for him to practice in. Because yeah, that that was the biggest issue at times. You think back to Morgantown, second half against Oklahoma State in the cold, stuff like that. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, obviously schedules be coming out soon. These new teams coming in, you know, where are you going to end up? Might be some tough spots this year. So certainly uh, valid. So we'll see. Uh, but looks like Gabriel, uh, good for all parties to get him back, uh, I think is the, the the safest way to put that. Makes the most sense. So we'll see how that bears out behind him, like we said, Arnold and Bevel and all that. But we'll figure that out uh, in due time. So don't forget got- booty with the booty cream. Booty cream, uh, booty crimson and cream or whatever it is. Um, man, what a what a guy. What a guy. General booty cream. Um, get him in the game at least once right? next year. Please, for the yeah. love of God. He didn't get to get it. I guess we'll get him in the spring game at least. He wasn't here for the spring game last year. So maybe at least this time we'll get a little bit of spring game. A little, little, little teaser of uh, what booty can do in the spring game. So they got Gabriel back. You weren't as lucky with Marvin Mims, who goes to the NFL. Um, not unexpected really here either. I mean, there was some co- – I mean, the whole year I thought he's going to the NFL for sure. As the season kind of waned, there was some conversation that he was maybe mulling it over, considering mm-hmm. it. You know, he played the bowl game, obviously, and but he ends up making the decision to go to the NFL, which makes most sense for him. I don't know what more else he has to really prove uh, in college. So you lose your number one receiver. would have been a big deal to get him back. But I don't think Oklahoma was ever really counting on him to be back. You look at how many receivers they've offered in the portal, and we're going to talk about one that they got later on in the show. But I don't. it's a loss, but I don't think an unexpected one for Oklahoma to, to lose Marvin Mims here. No, they're, they're heavy in the portal because they knew Marvin was most likely yeah. leaving. I think, like you said, there yeah. was a glimmer of hope that he might come back. Uh, Marvin needs to go to the NFL. Marvin has, has proven all he needs to prove on the, on the college football level. He did it against some very good defenses in the Big 12 this year, against some future NFL defensive backs in the Big 12 this year. He looked really good. He had his best season over 1,000 yards. For his career, he averages more yards per catch than anybody but Keith Jackson and uh, Tinker Owens, I think. Um, I can't remember maybe who the other uh, receiver was, but we're talking about wishbone guys. We're talking about guys that caught four passes per season, right? You know, averaged 27 yards a catch. Marvin, as a volume receiver, is averaging more yards than C.D. Lamb did per catch. 19.3, 19.2, something like that. So uh, he's ready. Um, th- this offense needs to find his replacement. You, that's going to be hard to do because you don't just replace 19, 20 yards per catch. So that's going to be a tough thing for Jeff Levy and this offense to try to try to backfill. Yeah, from an NFL perspective, the only thing he could have done with one more year is run a 4-2. Like that, that, that's the only other thing that, that he could have done. And th- I think that's going to be the difference between where he winds up in the NFL draft, because for so long it was get the elite quarterback on a rookie scale deal. And you've broken the salary cap right now. It's get your elite wide receiver as well on a rookie scale deal. And you've broken the salary cap. So in the high first round, that's what the NFL is going to be looking for. So those athletic freaks. Other than that, Marvin Mims has shown you, he can do everything the offense needs. He took big steps forward blocking this year. NFL scouts are going to adore his cheese at bowl tape where he's dealing with that injury the entire time. And he still comes up with two of the most outside of Johnny Wilson's one handed catch two of the more 
holy crap, how did he come down with that football on the sideline, um, one on each sideline? And, and for an Oklahoma perspective, he's going to have that huge uh, couple of OU Texas memories in last year's game that's that's going to live on forever. Um, for, from the OU perspective, he, he had a ton of memories, was incredibly productive, and, and has nothing left to prove. And I think that everyone understood that, and I think that you saw an outpouring of Thanks for the memories. Good luck at the next step as he kind of announced the, his NFL future. I think somehow, despite everything you just said, Ryan, I think he he finishes as one of the more underrated OU guys in recent. He's eighth on the all-time receiving list for OU. Eighth. I don't know how many people would guess that. Um, and that's with having three different quarterbacks. You know, never really got to settle on any kind of, uh, oh, he was with Baker for three. You know, nothing like that. You know, so. Pretty uh, pretty big time stuff. He was really really good, and like who said, had his best year this year by pretty wide margin, over a thousand yards and all that stuff. It just I made the joke a few times over the course of the season. It felt like he could get open over the top anytime he wanted, and uh, that'll be what I remember the most about Marvin Mims. Uh, and we'll see how he develops at the next level. Um, I think he's going to be a good NFL receiver. I don't know why he wouldn't be. Uh, really talented guy, really well spoken. He was fun to talk to throughout his time. So uh, we'll wish him luck at the next level. Another loss for Oklahoma. We're going to get into the transfer portal in terms of all the additions that they made in the next segment. But the big, I say big, is in most notable uh, loss, maybe of the entire cycle for Oklahoma. David Aguebu hit the portal this week. You know, he hasn't announced it himself yet, but he kind of did because he he referred to Danny Stutzman tweet, kind of defending him. And there was reports from very reliable places that he is in the portal. So David Aguebu is leaving. There are two ways to spin this, and there's it's become a very divided and polarizing topic for some reason on David Aguebu's entering the portal. Either you kind of feel like this is a big loss, or you say, not really, Oklahoma kind of probably nudged him out the door a little bit. I tend to lean in the second one there. How do you guys feel like this shook out? How significant is it that Oklahoma's losing this guy? It's significant because you're losing a linebacker. Uh, who is under, beginning to understand Brent Venable's schemes. He's got familiarity with the guys around him, to, in this case, Danny Stutzman, a couple other guys. Uh, it's significant. You don't want to lose that much experience. If, if he, Him leaving versus him coming back, him coming back wins every time. You want a guy like that to come back. My thing with David Aguebu was, he. I told you this three years ago, I think I said this, uh, he looks like a pro bowler right now. He walks off the bus and he looks like a pro bowler. I'm not ever going to say that he can't be that guy. You know, I think he held himself back in some ways, loss of confidence, whatever it was, whatever it was. I think he, uh, I think he, you know, suffered from, um, uh, missed a couple of tackles, missed a couple of assignments. And all of a sudden he starts doubting everything ability wise. He's at the very top. He's right there. Yeah. You want to see that productivity come out of that, uh, potential for sure. And that, I guess it. I guess it did come out just productivity in terms of the the raw numbers. But if you look at his pro football focus numbers, his efficiency, his uh, run grade, pass grade, coverage grade, pass rush, um, missed tackles, the whole all across the board were better his freshman and sophomore seasons than they were his junior and senior seasons. And that tells you what tells you that he's doubting himself. He's lacking confidence. He's and the coaches see it. The coaches are out there saying, man, you can do this. I believe in you. Get out there. Come on. You got this. And they kept running him out there and he kept missing tackles or he kept missing assignments or whatever it was um, later in his career. 
I think he's going to be one of those guys, y'all, that, that he gets into an NFL camp somewhere. He gets into he gets into the right system. It may take him a couple of years, but he gets into the right coaching, and he because he just explodes. He just becomes this this amazing player, and everybody's going to say, "Why didn't he do that at OU?" Because he was young, because he was a college kid, because he was missing, lacking confidence, whatever it was. So I really think that the, the potential is there for him to be absolutely spectacular. Uh, when he's done playing, then I'll stop saying that because I really I really feel like it's there. <laughs> Yeah, when you look at him, finished fourth in the Big 12 in tackles this year. I do think that was more of a, in basketball, we talk about the volume shooter argument of you had three linebackers that had to play every single snap and OU's defense was on the field a ton just because OU's offense ran so fast. So I think that if you're looking at just the raw numbers, that's a bit deceiving. But when I look at the room, we just came out of a season where Oklahoma had three guys, and that was it, who they trusted to play meaningful snaps in the Big 12. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Deshaun White leaving and David Aguebu leaving, which means that Jaron Canick needs to step up in a big way alongside Danny Stutzman because that, that's the guy that we actually got to see this year, so that's why I'm projecting him forward. You assume that Deshaun McCall is going to come in from Indiana – we think he feels like a ready-made spot for that cheetah. And then you've got two question marks in Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis, who were red-shirted, so we didn't get to see a ton of them. That was their plan. But they're going to have growing pains as they actually get to play. And then is Oklahoma ever going to bring along freshman linebackers? We don't know. We don't know if that was a year one Venables thing, trying to protect those guys, or if that's going to be this staff's philosophy going forward. But if, if the 2023 guys aren't going to factor into the rotation, you're right back to... One guy at Cheetah and McCullough, Stutzman, Kanick, and then two guys in Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie. You would have just rather had David Aguebu to say, however they divvy up those snaps, that's because that's who's actually playing the best in practice and, and who's actually getting it done on Saturdays, as opposed to just saying, we have to play this guy here because you only have three to four options for three spots. I was always a big fan of David Aguebu. Um, I was really high on him coming into the year. I really thought Venables and Schmidt and all that stuff was going to really unlock something in him, and it didn't really happen. You know, we did, we're doing the report card series right now on all Sooners. We did the linebackers, and I talked about in my video for that. Sean White had a great year. Stutzman had kind of a hit or miss year, had some really good moments. David Aguebu had a disappointing year. Uh, he was what dragged the grade down uh, for me. So I feel like the situation here was just. Oklahoma is ready to move on to their younger guys. And not that they wouldn't welcome Aguebu back by any means, but they probably were honest with him in the X interviews and said, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to play every snap like he did last year. Like we're going to work these other guys in and he probably wants something different. You know what I mean? So we'll, we'll see where he winds up. I think that's always going to be very telling too. I mean, does anybody think he's going to wind up at another major program? Probably not. Um, he's, he'll probably end up at a power five, but probably something lower. Uh, I would think. So we'll see. That's usually kind of telling what what's his market like, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It's there's a there's a kind of a fine line there. I, I don't think it's a a non issue that they lost him, but I think Oklahoma. This was a they were willing to lose him to get these younger guys in there more, McKinsey and Lewis and and all that. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out, though. Um, one last thing here before we switch over to the second segment and get into uh, Under Armour and All American Bowl and all the transfer portal. Oklahoma's got a receivers coach. Uh, they hired Emmett Jones uh, just yesterday was when the hire was made official. He comes over from Texas Tech. Uh, he was with the Red Raiders for a while. Then he had a cup of coffee with Kansas. Then went back to Texas Tech. 
has really deep ties to the Dallas area. I was a high school coach for a, a long time in that, that area. Most of the recruiting people say this is a really big get um, because of that reason, that those ties to the Dallas area. So we'll see how that bears out you know, over time. But what do we make of this hire? And what do we think of the decision to move on from LaDamian Washington and try to keep him? Just kind of that whole thing, because they said in the release that Brent Venables was honest and that he's they're trying to find a way to keep Damian Washington. So kind of an interesting situation all around there. Yeah. Trying like heck to keep LaDamian Washington. Interesting. He's a, he's a great uh, assistant receivers coach. Um, he got, you know, thrown into the fire this year as the, as the main position guy. Uh, was he ready? I don't know. Um, but they clearly, they wanted someone else in 2023 to take that over. Um, yeah. Emmett Jones is a guy that um, super dynamic on the recruiting trail. Uh, and if you look at some of the players that have played for him and look at their career arc, you can see development behind every, almost every one of them. Um, you're seeing uh, guys who can uh, guys who can play a multitude of positions under him. You know, versatility that's important. Uh, it, we'll see. You know, ultimately we'll have to let time tell in a few years whether this was a good hire, a great hire, a bad hire. Looks like on the surface, looks like from the outside looking in, like a very good hire, especially with the dynamic recruiter, Dallas ties, North Texas ties. Uh, he's very plugged in. He's gonna get. Uh, he's gonna get some of those guys, and maybe he knows somebody at Texas Tech who might want to play at Oklahoma someday. You know what I mean? He he might be one of those guys who Texas Tech's got a bunch of decent receivers, a bunch of really good players who can play receiver on the Big Twelve level. Maybe he lands one of those guys or two. Tyler shocked Oklahoma. You heard it here first. Kidding. <laughs> no, he, he's at, when you look at the recruiting aspect of this, it feels like a very much, what did you lose in Kale Gundy? A monster on the recruiting trail who had as many connections running decades deep in the DFW area. What did you gain in Emmett Jones? A guy who has decades deep connections in the DFW area who we've never got to see recruit with anything other than a Texas Tech logo and a Kansas logo on his chest. That's mm-hmm. going to matter. And, and when you've heard some of the stories come out from you know Anthony Evans, guys like that, Jay Valai, someone that also has a ton of DFW area connections, was huge on that. Okay, now imagine that it can be someone else. You can tag team, and oh, by the way, that's your position coach. It's not the cornerback's coach who just has those – and so for Lady Washington, it's just an interesting situation. Of, he's just a guy that didn't have the experience profile to be the wide receivers coach at Oklahoma, probably, for what this staff wanted. Like, even you look at – he's not a former OU guy, but you look at Joe John Finley. What did he do? He had a bunch of stops elsewhere before he took uh, the Oklahoma job. DeMarco Murray didn't have as many spots everywhere else. But at running back, when you're an NFL MVP, like that's going to help you out a little bit, and, and you're going to get some leeway at your school where you're a legend. So uh, for Washington, I, I'm fascinated to see what he does because I, I didn't think the receivers were a glaring hole or anything like that this year. And so I think that for him, he's got a difficult decision of he could probably parlay this into a wide receivers coach somewhere else, probably not going to be the level of Oklahoma. So, so what does that look like as far as what's his – pros and cons list is okay i'm not in an on the field role but i get to stay in oklahoma stay with the staff by all accounts that he really enjoys all that stuff versus his personal goals and kind of being able to see what he can get so that'll be a fascinating situation but um it, it may not be the sexy name like a malcolm kelly that everyone was pumped for 
But as far as the recruiting and everything, it makes sense for Oklahoma to, to add Jones and roll forward like this. It does. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Damian Washington, like you're saying, Ryan, he just hasn't really built up much of a, of a resume. Yeah, and he's only a couple years removed from playing in yeah. the XFL. Um, so, you know, he stepped into a really, really hard spot, and he seemingly did an okay job. I mean, the players seem to like him. You've seen that kind of support for him on Twitter and what have you. Um, so we'll see if they can keep him. I think it's cool that Brent Venables was very honest in the release and that we're trying to keep him. Um, so that, that's cool. He certainly earned it. And like he said, in an enhanced role, not just, you know, go right back to what you were. We're trying to give you something better, even if it's not the receivers coach like you were on the intern base. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, seems like Oklahoma's handling that the right way there, uh, in my opinion. So we'll see how that, uh, how that looks whenever we uh, get any news on the Damian Washington front. All right, we'll take a time out here. Just scratching the surface. We'll have a lot to hit, uh, to hit on the show. Transfers out the wazoo for Oklahoma. They've been adding one like every day. We're going to dive into that. And then in the last segment, we're also going to get into our season prediction before the year. Rough. We'll talk about that as well <laughs> kind of later on uh, here on the All Sinners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pros price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pros, 405-639-9991, or check out their website, tradeprosokc.com. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Hoover's at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right. have a lot of transfer news to get to, but first, let's start with wrapping up Orlando. Last week on the show, who, uh, Ryan and I, along with Ross, talked about guys standing out from Under Armour. I was there for media day, so I got to speak on that a little bit. But obviously, who have you were boots on the ground for the entire thing. So we're going to turn it over to you. Takeaways from seeing those seven OU guys, because Derek LeBlanc wasn't there. Um, what stuck out to you? And uh, for Oklahoma fans that are tuned in, how good are these guys going to be? Especially, obviously, the big ones, Mr. Arnold and Mr. Uh, PJ Atabore and Peyton mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't uh, here at All Centers. We'd like to cover recruiting more. We need to recover cover recruiting a little bit more than we do. We don't cover it strong enough. That's getting ready to change because uh, I got some insights. Being like you said, Josh, boots on the ground, sideline, at practice every day, watching these guys practice for the Under Armour All America Bowl. There's seven of them out there. Only Alabama with ten had more people out there than Oklahoma did. So. This is the bowl that was in Orlando right after the uh, Cheez-It Bowl. Um, you guys will know that uh, the one in San Antonio a few days later, uh, about a week later, whatever it was, 
Uh, it's a little bit different. Oh, you had four players in that one. Uh, they had one in the Army All-American Bowl, so that makes a total of, if you include LeBlanc, 13 high school All-Americans in this class. I have never covered an OU team that had anywhere close to 13 high school All-Americans. So this is a special class. This 2023 group is really good. I think they're either five or six right now in the 24-7 composite or team rankings. And I got to tell you, being down there on the ground, being down there on the sideline with a you know video camera in one hand and a still camera in the other hand, right? Uh, seeing everybody up close for the first time. Uh, I got to see a couple of high school games, but not a ton. But just seeing them compete against the best of the best from everywhere else. Guys, oh my God, these dudes are good. These are good football players. PJ Adebore was probably the best overall um, there's some people who are saying just pure edge rusher in terms of like a, a stand up on the edge of a, of a three man front or something like that. Uh, there was, there, there's people who believe that he was by far the best guy out there. Uh, now Renaud was really good. Um, he's more of a traditional stand up or a, a hand on the ground, uh, four man front defensive end, bigger, maybe not quite as explosive, not quite as fast, but PJ is an absolute shop wrecking defensive end. He's going to be special at Oklahoma. He's, you know, these guys, they all have this kind of uh, maybe championship attitude um, about their own ability. You know, you asked TJ or PJ, asked him about, hey, some of these tight ends that were trying to block you, some of these offensive tackles that were trying to block you, they're going to some really good places. They're going to some, you know, Alabama, whatnot. Yeah, He's like, they're good players. He said, but I'm a good player too. And I can't wait to go against him in college. You know what? What? That's incredible. Jackson Arnold at the risk of being a prisoner of the moment and, and start gushing all over the next quarterback, right? His release. Okay. From, from this position where you're padding the football, looking for a receiver to this position where you've thrown the football, you've released it. His release is as quick as any I've ever seen especially from a high school kid. Just that's not natural. The way he releases the football, the way he snap releases the football, it's as quick as there is. Uh, it's, it's bizarre. His accuracy is good. Uh, it's going to be going to need to be better. Obviously. Um, he missed some guys in both the game and he missed some guys. Uh, the, the last miss he had in the game could have tied the game in the final minutes. Uh, instead they lost 14, seven, but uh, I saw him miss a couple of guys here and there in, in uh, you know, practice. And you write that off to, did the receiver run the right route? Was that even the right play call? You know, guys are trying to learn each other, figure each other out. Um, Peyton Bowen just looked smooth and in control. Every snap I saw him, he knew exactly what was happening for the offense and the defense. He's one of those guys that's got a football IQ that is higher than yours. Okay. Trust me on that. If you're the other team's quarterback, if you're the other team's running back, whatever it is, he knows more about the game than you do. That's what stands out to me. He's got instant reactions. He's got good, you know, uh, great speed, elite ball skills and all that kind of stuff. But just knowing what's going on, he's plus plus when it comes to that. Lewis Carter, we've talked about this. He, he wants to explode somebody. He wants to blow somebody into little bits. He is a, he's a heat seeking missile. I thought he showed that in the week of practice, and I thought he showed that in the game where he was actually – he's one of those guys that seeks contact. You know, there's there's times in a, in a practice or there's times in a game where you're not supposed to hit somebody or 
maybe it's, you know, the play is happening 15 feet away and you're supposed to slow down because it's, there's the tackles being made. He's not like that. <laughs> he wants, he wants contact. So he'll turn around after the play's over, he'll turn around and hit a receiver that's trying to block him or a tight end or something like that. Here comes an offensive lineman. He's going to hit and engage an offensive lineman. I just love his attitude. Uh, Caden Green looks like a guy to me that uh, is uh, ready-made. Um, obviously, he's a freshman. He's a young guy. He's a high school kid, right? He's going to need some time on task to get really good. But guess what? Physically, long arms, big body, uh, a mind for football. Physically, he looks ready right now. Get this. Jacoby Johnson, he didn't have a huge impact either at practice or in the game. Uh, I think he got four series defensively in the game. I think he would prefer to play wide receiver or at least get some snaps at wide receiver, kind of maybe help him stay engaged a little bit. I don't know. Uh, if I'm Brent Venables and those guys, I'm giving him a shot at wide receiver just because he's so talented. Um, but in terms of his defensive back play, he showed up day one. He missed most of day one. He was tired on day two. He was a little bit under the weather. And he had just played a basketball game the day before and scored 36 points at Mustang. What? Yeah. So he gave up. He left that tournament early that he was playing in to go to Under, under Armour. <laughs> he shows up and he might, I'm not, I'm trying really hard here not to exaggerate. He might have been in terms of playing the most sports, the most positions and being the most available for whatever you need him to do. He might have been the most athletic guy in the whole field. That was incredible. As now, I'm not talking about 40 times and vertical jumps. I'm talking about put a baseball in his hand, put a basketball in his hand. He might have been the most athletic guy out there just in terms of playing sports. Jaquez Petaway, I said it in one of my reports. He's quick as a lizard. Okay. And trust me, I know this. I tried to catch some lizards while I was in Orlando. It's not easy to do. He's quick as a lizard. Uh, he didn't have any catches in the game. But he was working all week in practice, and he was one of the top guys, top, top wide receivers for his team in, in practice. Uh, he's a guy that, again, a little, like, um, little bit like Lewis Carter, he's, he's got the right mindset. He's got the right body, the right build. He's got the right skill set. He just needs an opportunity to get on the field and make plays. I think he's going to do that. Yeah, I mean that that tracks with what we saw um, on the broadcast. But yeah, I think the the real value of all of that was what Josh and I didn't get to see, which was you seen those guys interact every single day at practice and those one on ones, things like that. Just because for me with these games, first off, there are some parameters around what like the offense can do, the defense can do, special teams. Secondly, you're trying to put together guys that have, for the most part, on the whole, never played together, and so. It's never going to look smooth and sleek, really. And, and so what you're talking about there at practice, I think that's what Oklahoma fans are excited about. Is we've seen that in spurts as you know, Josh has put all those guys' highlights together through you know when they committed and at signing day, stuff like that. But uh, that's what Oklahoma fans want to hear is that not only are these guys getting invites and accepting them to play in All-American games, then they go to practice, and oh, by the way, they're standing out on the practice field with all the best athletes in the country. Yeah. yeah. At, at one point I was looking through my lens and I zoomed in on, on Caden green. And as I zoomed in, I'm like, okay, see how he does here in this rep. And I looked through my lens, looked through the little viewfinder and there's PJ out And I was like, Oh, let's zoom out a little bit. So I zoomed out a little bit and right there was Jackson Arnold standing there taking the snap. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
So I zoomed out a little bit more. And over here in the slot was Jaquez Petaway. So I zoomed out a little bit more. And there was Lewis Carter over here lining up in, in the backfield. And I'm like, okay. So I zoomed all the way out. And there was Peyton Bowen standing back here. Hut! And the ball went, you know, I followed these two guys. And then I followed the quarterback. And then he looked at the receiver. And the receiver's running through the defense. And he's running through the defense. I'm like, that was incredible. That's the one offense versus the one defense. Oklahoma had six guys, three on offense, three on defense, going at each other. Yeah, got to like that if you're Oklahoma. And people are really excited about that class in the future. I guess a natural question to ask you, Hoover, real quick before we move on, is in your in your estimation, nobody's going to hold you to it, but in your estimation, anybody here that was there that you saw that you're expecting to make an immediate impact, they can get on the field next year. Hmm. Hard to do. Well, P.J. Adebori has better pass rush skills right now than anybody at Oklahoma. Um, Peyton Bowen is smart enough, like I was talking about. His IQ is high enough that he's not going to go out there on the field and get you beat. Uh, Lewis Carter is going to play on special teams, I guarantee it. <laughs> he's going to be out there on his hands and knees pleading for someone to please let me hit somebody. Um Caden Green could probably in a pinch help out or, you know, fill kind of a, oh gosh, our guy got hurt. I need to go in and, or maybe he got his chin strap knocked off. I need to go in and get a, a couple of snaps. Uh, same with Jackson Arnold. I think he could step in immediately and not screw up everything like a, like a typical freshman would. It would look, uh, a good example might be Cade Klubnick this year at, uh, at Clemson. When he got in the game, they said, okay, we're only running these four plays for this kid. That's it. Don't let him screw up. And as he, as he got in more games, you saw more package development, more uh, leeway with everything he was doing. I could see where something, you know, midseason, they put Jackson Arnold in. Oh, crap. Dylan Gabriel busted a shoelace. Well, we're okay with putting him in. Let's give him a limited package first. And then the more we get him in, the more, more he's going to play, the better he's going to play and the more comfortable everybody is. So I could see something like that. Uh, Petaway, athletic enough right now to help as a true freshman. And then, like I said, with Jacoby Johnson, just in terms of being able to play any position, offense or defense, I'm ready to see him play right now. Yeah, I, I just curious because we, we had talked in the first segment about replacing Marvin Mims. I'm not saying Petaway is going to step in and have a Marvin Mims-esque freshman season. That's asking a ton, but just – his athleticism, his ability to stretch the field, someone that uh, I'm curious if uh, at a smaller scale he can be put out there and after a couple of games, Big 12 defenses have to go, he fast, let's figure out where he is when he's on the field. Yeah, PJ and Bowen for me, and those are low-hanging fruit, those are the five stars, but PJ feels like he has a chance to be the best edge rusher on the team right mm -hmm. now, um, and so can he work in there? And uh, they just added an edge guy, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and then Bowen in the back, I mean, you have Billy Bowman, obviously lock him down, but then after, you know, in the safety area, I mean, it's kind of, there's nobody there that's blowing you away. You know what I mean? So it, it you know, why not? If he, he looks good enough, why not? You know, so I'm, I'm excited to see what those guys look like in the spring, those open practices that Brent gives us. That's the most exciting part of this coming spring is to see those guys and how they, Oh yeah, like it's apparent that they're just right on par with these guys who are already here. Or is it clear that they need some time? You know, we'll find out uh, soon. Elsewhere, we, nobody was in San Antonio for us, but like who said, they did have four guys down there. We, we kind of kept up with it, you know, from afar, you know, as, as you know, as best you can when you're not there. 
Um, it seemed like the big standout was almost Samuel Omsigo, who had, a, had himself a good time down there. And we talked about that, I think, on the post-signing day show. I brought up, you know, Lewis Carter, rightfully so, has earned a lot of the the hype and excitement for us. But Omsigo has got really – they're similar uh, in that regard. I think he's got a chance to be really fun, too. So he had a good weekend there in San Antonio. Anything real quick you guys wanted to touch on from San Antonio before we uh, move on? Yeah, sure. I watched the game really close. Uh, we we ran our Joshua Bates story as the game was going on. We published our Josh Bates story from my interview from the a couple of days before with him. From when I was in Orlando, he was in Colorado. They, he ended up in San Antonio. I ended up in Tulsa is when that story ran. Weird convolution of, uh, of things happening there all at once. But Joshua Bates played the first, I think, three series or maybe four series. He was pushing people around. He was He loves – you talk to this kid – He's got a mean streak. He's got an attitude. And he was the starting center, okay, for the West team. And they got their butts kicked pretty bad, the, the West team did. But the first four series, I think th- maybe three series, he was dominating his position. He was mauling people, okay? So that's something that Oklahoma fans are definitely going to be interested in seeing. Uh, he had to leave with uh, what he told me was a hand injury. So he didn't return after about middle, early second quarter, I think. Um, you're right. Sammy Omasigo was a guy who stood out in practice and a guy who had some opportunities in the game. Uh, and I think made the most of those opportunities. My guy that I liked from the game, again, we didn't go to practice. We weren't down there all week and watching every rep like some people were, but, uh, we got to see the game and in the game itself, Makari Vickers and go back to reports that you hear or read from, from the week of practice, Makari Vickers, he's big time. He's uh, he's getting on that level right now where it looks like if he, you know, he comes out there, he's a, has the ability to step out and play. Maybe not from day one, but like I said, he's one of those freshmen that's going to get on the field and not get you beat. He's not going to screw things up. He's not going to be overwhelmed. He's not out of his depth. He's a player that looks really good. And, and again, in an All-American setting where you're going against your peers, you're going against other Power Five All-Americans, he didn't just hold his own. He he had moments of domination. Well, and the other guy we didn't mention there, when you talk about reports from practice, it sounds like Josiah Wagner, the, the corner from Washington, is another guy that is like, hey, we're out here. I want to compete. And I don't want to compete, but I want to be a pest and an absolute pain in the you-know-what to any receiver I match up against in those one-on-ones. And it, it, we just look back. Texas has had a few of these classes where you look on paper and go, oh my gosh, this defensive back class, what is this going to be? What is this going to be? And then it amounts to nothing. So there's no guarantees. But when you look at the seven DBs that Oklahoma signed, Bowen looks like a a, a man among boys, so comfortable when he's doing the All-American stuff. Makari Vickers, a standout. Jacoby Johnson, once he just figures out what he wants to do, a physical standout. Uh, Josiah Wagner turned some heads right in all American practices. And then a guy that not eligible to do all this stuff because he's a Juco guy, but Kendall Dolby, someone this staff loves. So you're looking mowing down that seven. You go, what, what do they got cooking here? We'll have to see what kind of development track that they're on, but it has the potential. If, if Javali, Brandon Hall and Brent Riddles can, can get their heads together and get that thing developed that uh, Oklahoma should have some answers in the secondary. And if not, then you're wondering what went wrong with the development because it looks like they've got all the raw tools to, to have a very athletic secondary that can ball. 
This is why, too, I was big going back to last week's show that they got Woody Washington back. Um, chance to learn from him and also just you don't need to throw these guys in the fire too much right away because you have him and you have uh, Jay Davis is back as well. So you have some veterans there, Key Lawrence, for, as far as the safeties are concerned. And, you know, I mean, you have some guys in place to kind of bridge that gap to all these guys. So that's that's a good spot to be in right now if you're Oklahoma in the back end, which has been the secondary has been a big, you know, uh, hiccup for for Oklahoma and for fans for a while. So it seems like it's turning a corner there. Jay Valai and Brandon Hall doing a really good job. All right, let's go ahead and get to the transfers. Um, Oklahoma's been very active. They continue to add basically every day, it feels like. We'll go ahead and hit these just in chronological order since the last show. We'll start with Caleb Schaefer. Comes from Miami of Ohio, offensive lineman. Started all 25 games for them the last two years. Now, Oklahoma had a good showing from the offensive line in the Cheez-It Bowl, but you can never have enough guys to competition and injuries happen. So I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say Caleb Schaefer is going to definitely be a, a week one starter, but he's in the running uh, for it, I would think. Um, where do you guys see him fitting into the the fold here? Yeah, probably. Whoops, probably too early to say uh, where he fits in. Uh, like to see how he performs in practice, what coaches and teammates say about him in, in spring practice and stuff like that before we make a full assessment. But um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that uh, is has got some Division One experience. He's played against a couple of really good Power Five teams, I believe. Um, Miami, Ohio doesn't move the needle for you in, you know, in the Mac, if you're an OU fan, I'm sure. But yet here's a guy who's uh, as impressed the coaches enough, right. As, uh, as in the, both the recruiting process, getting to know him and in the evaluation process, getting to watch him on film and, and study and, and talk to people that he has played for, played with, played against. Um, I'm sure the coaches did their due diligence to, to find, all they can on these guys and you know, he ends up signing with her or, or committing to Oklahoma. So um, at this point it's a trust the coaches and see what happens, but yeah. you're right. You know, t- just talking to Josh Bates um, again, that conversation I had with him, he was like, did you see how they were in the, how that, how that offensive line played in the cheese it bowl? And we were talking about, you know, uh, Jacob Sexton coming in, getting overwhelmed the first three plays, getting hurt. And then here comes Aaron Parks, who hasn't really played all year except for special teams. And he holds his own against, uh, you know, Jared Verse and Florida State and those guys. So point being, Joshua Bates said the same thing. Uh, You know Bill Biedenboe is going to get those guys developed. So if you can bring in a guy from Miami, Ohio, get him developed into playing at an Oklahoma level, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I think the – if you're going – Concerns for that the right word, but the he's not a guy that has a big ramp of eligibility left. And so I think that if you're trying to maximize this offensive line, you hope he's a depth guy because as far as him still being raw, but only having limited eligibility left, that's not a huge uh, dearth of time for Bill Beadmo to, to be able to continue to, to get the most out of him. So if this offensive line wants to be the best unit it can be i think you hope he's a depth guy someone that can come and be experienced because if mckay mattower doesn't come back i was trying to piece together the offensive line yesterday you look at right guard and you go jake taylor does a caden green slide in to play guard initially like you're you're you've got a lot more question marks than you have answers assuming that savion birds at left guard 
They were short, by the way. Uh, great point, Ryan. Thank you for reminding me. They were short a couple of bodies in in uh, Orlando. And so Caden Green actually did get a lot of reps in practice at guard. So he's a guy that absolutely could be <clears throat> could be equipped to play that position. The options are there. Uh, you're replacing a lot of your offensive line, but the options are there to fill that void. So that'll be something kind of fun to keep up with and watch in spring and then go into next year because it's a lot of jumbling uh, to be done there on that offensive line. Flipping over to defense, Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest. He's a defensive end. Uh, he comes over. He's played a lot of football, 48 career games uh, for the Demon Deacons. Accumulated 30 total tackles, eight tackles for loss, and six sacks this past season. He was an all-ATC honorable mention as a defensive end. Interesting to see where he fits in the fold here as well. Um, you're not really losing anything on the edge. Uh, you have downs back and grinds back and stripling back, but they also kind of underperform. So I don't see how it can be anything other than a good thing, obviously, to get uh, to get him into fold. And we'll see where Bothroyd fits in. I think this is a, an upgrade um, when you take take an all ACC type talent. A guy's got, I think, in his career, 16 and a half tackles for loss, something like that. Uh, very productive, very aggressive, fits within the scheme. Now they play a slightly different brand of football in the ACC than they play in the Big 12. But I think he'll he'll fit in again. Uh, leave it to the put it at the coach's feet. They know what they want. They know what they're looking at. They talk to people and they evaluate film and all that stuff. This is a guy that fits their scheme. So um, he's Bothroyd is a guy. I hope we're saying that right. Bothroyd Bothroyd is, is a guy that um, is uh, is going to upgrade the position immediately. And I don't mean take anybody's job, but he'll be a guy that at, at very least steps into the rotation. Yeah, I mean, what did Oklahoma's defense struggle to do once they started playing real teams in conference play? They couldn't set the edge. Three-man front, four-man front did not matter. They really, really struggled. And a lot of their best plays was Ethan Downs shedding someone at the line of scrimmage and, and, and circling back in. So I think that any and all additions on the edge are welcome. But to get a guy that has those bona fides in the ACC, which is – recognizable we, we know what kind of brand of football they play right and, and while wake forest defense isn't a, a juggernaut by any means he was one of the bright spots and so bringing him in i think you can only be happy about that i think that that bleeds into a conversation we're about to have any and all people that sign up to play on oklahoma's defensive line that fit the height and weight and and just broadness that oklahoma needs along the line to kind of transform that unit welcome aboard welcome to normal from outside to, I believe, inside, Devon Sears comes in from Texas State. Now, we talked about him on the show last week uh, with Ross because they were in the final three for him alongside with Tennessee and Penn State. But he's an interesting story because he was a Juco kid who then went to Texas State, and now he's going to Oklahoma. I mean, just talk about climbing the ladder as far as your career goes. So they bring him in. Like we talked about kind of before with, with Jacob Lacey, I mean, Jeffrey Johnson and Jalen Redmond are gone. You got Isaiah Coe back, but you just need guys. You need bodies. So just from that perspective alone, it's important to get him, and we'll see what kind of an impact he can have. I don't really know, uh, basically, you know, to be quite honest, where, where he'll fit in or how much he'll play, but they, they could use another option, and that's what he gives them at the very least. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because a few weeks ago I made the comment on the podcast. Uh, it might have been during the regular season, actually. Uh, you know, you went out to the transfer portal and you got a guy from Central Florida. 
and you got a guy from Wyoming and you got a guy from uh, Cal. You know what I mean? You're, you're picking up guys that don't play at the level of football that Oklahoma wants to play at or win at. Those guys all played pretty good this season. Uh, a guy like uh, C.J. Colden, for instance, from Wyoming, he became later in the season the best corner on the team or at least the most productive, the guy with the most disruptive uh, ball skills and takeaways and all that. So it'd be easy to say, hey, we don't want guys from those that level of school, group of five, whatever. But sometimes those guys are a little bit of a little bit of a hidden gem, I think, a little bit of a diamond in the rough. And with Sears, the thing about him, Texas State, that's a huge step up going from Texas State to Oklahoma. Huge step up. He's playing against like-minded or like-ability players, players with similar ability to him, right? At Texas State, uh, Pro Football Focus, again, we rely on them a lot. One of 11 guys in the country on the interior of the defensive line who graded out in the top 25 in run defense and graded out top 25 in pass rush. So the kid's got skills. The kid's got the ability. Um, I think he graded out in both of those at 78, 75%, somewhere around there. So, again, it's easy to say, wait a minute, what are we doing taking guys from Texas State? Diamond in the rough? Simple as that. Yeah, at the very worst, you've got a guy that his baseline's 290 and nothing against Texas State, but OU's nutrition budget and strength budget, it probably dwarfs a lot of uh, main categories at Texas State. So you feel like can probably get more out of that. And this is all like an expectation setting game. If you're an Oklahoma fan, I think your expectation should be he's a guy that can play in the rotation. And then anything else you get after that, you should be stoked. Because I don't think he's like a Jeffrey Johnson edition last year where Jeffrey Johnson was needed to come in and like you need to be a starter and you need to take the good flashes you saw at Tulane and make those be more consistent. I think he's a guy that's one of those that come on in and those flashes he had at Texas State, if you get those from a rotation guy, sweet. If Todd Bates gets to work with him and that becomes his constant, then you've hit a home run out of the portal uh, on a guy from Texas State in a position that you need bodies. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, Isaiah Coe is, is like, you can cement him, but then it's kind of outside of that. It's wait and see uh, a little bit there. So we'll see how that shakes out. Last one. Then we'll take a break and we'll, we'll wrap up the show. Receiver Andrell Anthony uh, comes over from Michigan. Now we just, like we just said earlier, you lose Marvin Mims to the NFL. Theo Weiss uh, transferred to Missouri. So you have, you have guys here. I'm never. I've said this a couple times. I'm not really programmed to be worried about Oklahoma in the receivers department. Like they're going to be fine. But you, you have Jaleel Farouk coming back, who's I think ready to be that number one. Drake Stoops said he's coming back, which is a big deal. Um, and then you have these other young guys we haven't really seen a whole lot from yet. Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, mix in the transfers who you didn't really get much of anything from. JJ Hester, LV Bunkley, Shelton. Now you add Andrew Anthony to the mix. Um, he's played two years at Michigan. He's a three-star guy in 2021. Um, you know, a little bit of production. He's a younger guy. Hadn't played a lot. He had that 190, whatever it was, three-yard touchdown against Michigan State his freshman year. We'll see what he fits in, but he's a high upside guy, and you land him just like four hours after you announced that Emmett Jones is the new receivers coach, or it's reported that he was a new receivers coach. So we'll, we'll see how he how – he, uh, he fits in, but I you needed another receiver, at least one, maybe even another one. Um, and obviously you scratched that itch here with uh, with Anthony. Yeah, I'm 
I'm a little hesitant to, to say that uh, a three-star recruit who, you know, fell out of favor or battled an injury or just wasn't a hugely productive at Michigan uh, can come in and be that guy at Oklahoma. Um, we've seen over the last, just in the era of the transfer portal guys, um, gosh, who was the, what was the kid's name? Obi Obialo. Oh. Uh, that same year there was a receiver named Theo. Help me out. Remember his name? Oh gosh. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't really, you know, contribute much. Uh, we saw that you mentioned that Hester and, and Bunkley Shelton guys that come in, it's tough for a receiver to come in and be that guy. Okay. Um, I'm running this offense in Ann Arbor. Now I'm going to Norman, Oklahoma, and I'm going to run a totally different offense. Or even if there's some similarities, it's just tough for a receiver to be that guy. Um, it takes elite, elite talent to be able to do that. So please don't expect too much, uh, from Andrell Anthony, um, six, two, one ninety receiver out of, uh, from played at Michigan, played two years at Michigan was a contributor, a solid contributor. I think you can expect him to be a solid contributor at Oklahoma. You saw him on that 93-yard touchdown, the breakaway speed that he has when he gets in the open field. I don't think that's asking too much to get him the football in the open field and let him see what he can do. He's going to be a good player, but, um, again, you're losing Marvin Mims, who was an alpha. Um, can Andrell Anthony be that alpha? That's, uh, that's the mystery that we're going to have to unravel over the next few months. Correct me if I'm wrong. Theo Brown from UCLA? Theo Brown. That's what I was thinking too. Theo Brown he came in, had like an Achilles injury or something like that. Pretty, yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I am not expecting Andrew Anthony to make a huge impact. Um, this is like one rung below the Sears expectations. As far as like Sears needs to come in, be a rotation guy for Anthony. I expect him to be a camp wide receiver. And if he makes it onto the field and he takes into this offense and, and Emmett Jones can come and develop him. Awesome. Great job. Cause yeah, like you said, it, it's, this is not the, with the transfer portal, a lot of what you see at the big programs is usually either taking swings on former five stars type guys that didn't work out at their first stop, or you go for like a ton of production, a, a guy that's had a ton of production. Anthony's neither of those. He's not a just five star, high four star recruit. He's not really produced at Michigan. But he's got the athletic traits as far as speed, height, that frame that you want. So it that this will be project there for, for Emmett Jones to, to see what he can do. Theo Howard. Howard. Theo Howard, yeah. I just looked it up. Yeah. Totally forgot he existed, gonna be honest. <laughs> Obi Obialo as well. He was like a just <laughs> he's like the Anthony Kim of OU football. Like just <laughs> where did he go? What happened to him? He just disappeared. Did did uh, I mesh Justin Brown from way long ago with yes, Theo Howard, yes, I think? That's what Justin you did. Brown That's was what all right, I was doing, though. too. Yeah, Justin, Justin Brown was all right. Guy was all right. He also came as a very different kind of transfer because it was the get me the hell out of whatever's happening at Penn State, yeah. uh, probation city. <laughs> yeah. I believe he's still playing at the, in the CFL. I think he just had a 1,000-yard season. Oh, you Shout said- out Justin Brown. Bet you didn't think we were talking about Justin Brown on the show today, <laughs> but there Justin you have it. Brown? Jalen Saunders, the OU transfer receivers that just absolutely shred the CFL. Shout out. Shout out to our friends with the Grey Cup. Jalen Saunders had a little cup of coffee in the NFL as well. I think he's with the Saints for a little bit. Uh, he'll always have that Sugar Bowl, which, by the way, we just passed the nine-year anniversary of that Sugar Bowl. Which <laughs> it's, it's the Trevor Knight game, and correctly so, but Jalen Saunders also balled out in that game. Um, some sick catches. Wait, wait, wait. What was that receiver's name? LeColton Bester. 
Colton Bester. Where, he's he just moment. do anything all year, and then in the bowl game, he just explodes. <laughs> We're just naming random OU receivers now. Adron Canal. <laughs> we'll keep it going. Let's keep it going. Uh, one last thing on Angel Anthony. I will say, just in his uh, pro him or, or pumping him, he did play 26 games as a true freshman and true sophomore. So Michigan clearly, right at the high school, thought they had something. 19 yeah. total catches for 328 yards. So not a ton in two seasons, but to play in that many games right out of high school, clearly yeah. Harbaugh and that group feel like he had some ability. So we'll see if they can unlock that, and that'll be uh, Emmett Jones. Step right up. See what you can do with this young man. That'll be one of his and first guess what? Uh, um, Mich- you're talking In Michigan, you're talking about a college football playoff team. You're talking about a two-time Big Ten champ. I mean, this this Michigan is not some group of five that you don't know who they are. You never see them on TV. It's as good as it gets in college football as a receiver at Michigan. Trey Matwire, one more. All right, take a timeout. Right. <laughs> we'll come back. We're going to dive into our predictions before the season. Um, pretty bad. I don't really have a lot of good. Um, <laughs> we did a really good job on the game picks, though. We're going to talk about that. Weirdly good. We're going to talk about that uh, as well as we'll get into some Sooners NFL and wrap up with some basketball talk. OU was so close to ending that fog drought. We'll talk about that next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 169. Get through some last few things here and we'll send you on your way into your January weekend. Let's revisit the predictions before the season. The season is officially over. The Natty was on Monday. Georgia absolutely destroyed TCU at a level that we've literally never seen. Oklahoma, you are off the hook. The OU-USC Natty is no longer the biggest blowout in Natty history. The OU-LSU game is no longer the biggest blowout in CFP history. Uh, TCU, they are going to hold that forever. There's no way anybody loses a Natty by 58 or more ever again. No way. So uh, if you saw that, that was rough. Georgia destroying TCU. Seeds in the books. We can go back and look at everything that happened. I have a question. Jump in on the natty. Yes. When did you guys turn the game off? I didn't. I turned the volume off in the uh, at the end of the third quarter, but I didn't turn the game off. I watched the whole thing because I was just a yeah. sicko wanting to know how bad it could get. I was You're like, both, can Georgia get 70? That was You're my both question. sickos. I turned it off at 45-7. <laughs> well, the other the other part is, uh, as some of you guys probably know, I've got a ton of friends in the Georgia-Orlando area that are uh, Falcons, Braves, all that stuff. But uh, they're also big Bulldogs fans. So I was uh, engaged to continue to text them and be like, happy for you guys. Enjoy this thing. I also just kept thinking about how fortunate OU is that that Georgia game is not happening in 2023. They are not ready for that. Nope. The medals might get them there, but they are not ready for that right now. That team is just – Curry Smart has that thing. They're different. They're different. So, before the season, we made a bunch of predictions, 
And throughout the year, we pick the games. I want to start actually with that. We pick the games each week. Every week we pick OU. We put our official picks on allsoners.com on Fridays. I have the official tally for how we did. I counted it up. So for whatever reason, Ross Lovelace, our intern, his picks were not on there four times. I don't know why. I don't know why that happened. But there was four games that he didn't get picks in. But then the nine that he did pick, he went three and six. Bad stuff from Ross. Tough. tough. Disappointing. Ryan and I went seven and six. So we're above 500. John Hoover went 10 and three. <laughs> making OU games this year. 10 and three. Do you know the three you missed right off? I have them written here. Uh, no. They were, you picked, it was all when you picked OU to win. You put too much faith. You had OU over Kansas State. Okay. Over West Virginia and over TCU. Yeah. But anytime OU lost a game, or um, if you picked OU to lose, they did. <laughs> you nailed that. You had a right. feel for when they were going to lose. If you felt it, it happened. You only <laughs> miss games whenever you picked OU to win. I think my uh, my worst showing is I think I was the only one, uh, probably the only person, uh, maybe not this year covering Oklahoma, but I did have Kansas just handling the Sooners and Norman, and that did not come to fruition. I, th- I think I was the only one who picked OU to beat Kansas. <laughs> was I not that week? No, I we did. You were the only one who had OU to win Bedlam, though, I, okay. I believe. Okay. And... Um, Especially down the home stretch of the year, it was it was. I was checking it was constantly like, nope, who got it right? And we were all wrong. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, you had a feel for this team in the home stretch, especially <laughs> ten hey, and three, seven and six for Josh Knight, better than the on the field product, you know. So we, we we got one of those games, and obviously K State and TCU that was games four and five. So you went doing quick math here. I mean, you only missed one in the last like eight games. Yeah, yeah you went seven and one to end the year. Move on a heater. That's what we call it. Heater. He did pick <laughs> Nebraska to beat Oklahoma in like July. So the, yeah, he switched true. it. He, he switched it back it the week of the game. Thank God Northwestern put me back on track. <laughs> Ireland can't <laughs> Northwestern. So we all picked OU to win the Big Twelve, which didn't come even close to happening. Um, we all had uh, OU win the Big Twelve, and we all had OU in the playoff, I believe. Did we? No, we didn't. Only no. I did, actually. Sorry, take that back. You guys both had OU going ten and two. I said OU would go undefeated. Horrible take. One of the all time or all time bad. Um, there's just no other way around it. All time bad. Um, the conference title picks aren't that bad, but they're kind of bad. Um, you guys both did have Utah, so credit to you. I had Oregon, um, so I I'm, I just had a horrible horrible year. We all had Ohio State. We all had Clemson. We all had Alabama, so we got one of those right at least. Uh, take that, take that for what you will. The playoffs: who've had Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. So you got one, you got two teams. Ryan had Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. You had the same four, and then I had Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and OU. We all had Alabama winning the Natty. So our all we all took the same team to win the Natty, and they didn't even make the playoff. Pretty good. Go us. Then the bold predictions. These are bold. They're bold for a reason. That's that's the whole point. But none of them came true or even were that close to coming true. Um, Who of you had Marvin Mims will lead the Big 12 in receptions and have more than 80? He had like 54 and he finished like 8th. So it wasn't that bad, but not really close. Uh, Ryan had yards. I don't have any yards written. I don't have any yards written down. 
I have have will read in receptions and more than eighty is what I wrote. Well, it yep. just shows you. Uh, remember how many stories everyone wrote in the preseason analyzing what Levy had at UCF and Levy had at Ole Miss of one guy that yeah. followed it, and he came to OU and was like, "Screw it, Eric Gray, thirty-three right. receptions. Don't worry about it." <laughs> Ryan, you had Danny Stutzman or David Weber will be an All-American. Not close. Um, Swing and a miss. Not close. Weber transferred out, <laughs> and so uh, I think that right. answers how that went. But, but. Danny Stutzman was in the running to feel the cheesiest, which I think is a more exclusive <laughs> club than even being an All-American linebacker. So. And he led the Big 12 in tackles. How do you lead the Big 12 in tackles and not be an All-American? He got screwed. It was a good pick, Ryan. Well, I'm not going to go that far. I appreciate the spin. <laughs> I appreciate the spin. <laughs> and then I had, uh, which really my whole prediction was, oh, he's going to go undefeated. But I also had uh, Dylan Gabriel will be a Heisman finalist, which <sighs> didn't come even close to happening either. Now, he had a good year statistically. Um, but they didn't win near enough games. My predictions were tied together. Um, if they go undefeated and make the playoff, he probably would have been just de facto, kind of Stetson Bennett-ish. Um, but neither one came all that close to happening. So it wasn't good. It wasn't good. We didn't get anything really right of note. You guys picked Utah to win the Pac-12. That was really our biggest hang-your-hat moment. Not good. We'll see. Hopefully we do better next year. Not good. Did uh, did Who and I at least have, like, Alabama, Georgia, and the Natty? Like, did you have Georgia the – I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't uh, have him going seven and five, running. like like that player said on the field. <laughs> Nobody had him going seven and five. Stop lying. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. Pat Forty in the College Football Inquirer was like, uh, the, some of the questions in the post game were like, "Hey, remember that week when Tennessee was number one? A ton of adversity for you guys. What was that?" Yes. Like? <laughs> <laughs> very smart. Very Nick Saban ish. Just totally brainwashing those guys into. Nobody said that. You're just making stuff up. It like, worked. Just arguing with nobody. It worked though. Bob Stoops could use that kind of brainwashing any year after like 2009. <laughs> well, Brent Venables doesn't need to. Um, that's already that's happening uh, big yeah. time. There's no faking it uh, on that. <laughs> so that's our predictions. They weren't good. We'll do it again and see what happens uh, next year. I will not be picking Odu undefeated. Uh, I can promise you that. I'm feeling like a good seven and five. Something I have a lot of room. Um, last few things to wrap up. As soon as the NFL week 18, anything that jumped out to you guys? I don't really have a lot. Uh, I the focus for on all centers was Jalen Hurts, just because he came back and they won the game to secure the one seed. Um, but we're into the playoffs now. Obviously, this starts this weekend. A lot of OU guys going for Super Bowl rings. Bobby Evans, the guy who won last year, he's actually back in because he got dropped by the Rams and picked up by the Vikings. So he's got another shot to try and go back-to-back individually. Um, But anything NFL-wise that uh, stuck out or that you're watching for in the playoffs? Um, I was looking at your list. Josh does a great job every week compiling – you know, those, uh, the names and the stats and who does what and all that. And there was one that jumped out at me and I'm trying to remember who it was because I didn't know he was still playing. Was it Devonte Bond? <laughs> Devonte Bond is on a practice squad with the Cowboys. That's incredible. I check it like every week. Like, is that still accurate? Still accurate. Put him on wow. there. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I mean, that's not like life changing money, but you're making a living on the practice squad yeah. for, for an NFL team. And occasionally you get called up. So I think that's awesome. He's one of the more popular guys that's that didn't really have a, a huge resume at Oklahoma. 
Uh, people love the way he played. People love the reckless abandon with which he played, and he's still playing. So that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, it'll be the huge question. Can an OU quarterback finally get it done at a really high level in the playoffs? And of course, the one that everyone had earmarked to do that was Jalen Hurts. Yes, the, the one that secured a number one overall seed in one of the two conferences, the one that is uh, on a Super Bowl favorite. We all predicted it would be Jalen Hurts with the OU quarterbacks, clearly. Going to be fun to watch um, if he can make that make that run. Not playing this weekend, obviously. They got the bye, um, which they secured last weekend. So we'll see. There's lots of you guys NFL rosters, so we'll see who can try to make a run. Like we said last year, Bobby Evans won a Super Bowl. There was actually an OU guy on all four of the championship teams last year. So we knew that an OU guy will get a ring, and uh, we'll see if that happens. Obviously, the Chiefs have a bunch of OU guys. The Bills have Jordan Phillips. So some of the big favorites have got – Oh, you guys. So somebody has got a good shot to get a ring. We'll see how that goes. Of course, CeeDee Lamb and the Cowboys, uh, of course, as well. Neville Gallimore on the Cowboys. So we'll see. Uh, lots of guys playing playoff football uh, this weekend and beyond. Should be fun to watch. Uh, wrapping up with some basketball. Men's hoops. Last we left you, they've actually played three games since the last show. Uh, we'll pretty much just talk about last night. But just to recap, lost to Iowa State last week at home. Close game. Had a chance to win it. Didn't, uh, obviously, in what was a – it's funny because Ryan and I were on the show last week. We talked with Ross as well. The OU Texas crowd at Lloyd Noble Center was one of the best in recent history. It was electric. The Iowa State crowd was as bad as any game as I've been. It was so empty and so flat in there. It was nuts that those games were like four days apart. They felt totally different. Um, after that, they then bounced back with a really key win they had to have at Texas Tech. And then last night at the Fog, 10-point lead with like five minutes to go, squander it. They lose at the Fog again, very similar to last year, just unable to hold on to a late lead. The streak goes to three decades, 30 years since last time Mm. you won at the Fog. So I don't know what this team is. They have a knack for playing everybody close, but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, I guess. I mean, you got to find a way to win these games at some point. So it's they play up to their competition, they play down to their competition. Yeah. That's that's gotta be frustrating for Porter Moser and those guys. Um last night, uh down four, they go on a run, 31-14 run, and five minutes to go, uh Tanner Groves puts in a layup and everybody's high fiving and everybody's fist pumping. And that was it. They still had five minutes to play. And raise your hand if you thought Oklahoma had that thing locked up with five minutes to play, right? Ain't nobody around here thought that that was going to happen. You'd rather be up 10. This is how I always look at it. Yeah, no, the game's not secured, but you'd rather be up 10 than down 10, right? You'd rather have that 10-point lead with five minutes than be down 10. Not if you're Kansas. If you're Kansas, you got them right where you want them. They scored five points. Ryan, I was texting you because Ryan was stressing a little bit. Oh, my gosh, how do I capture the the history and the majesty of Oklahoma ending this 29-year losing streak in Fog Allen? And I was like, I was typing out something, be patient. There's still plenty of time for the, the you know, Jayhawks to come all the way back and you won't have to worry about writing that <laughs> streak, historic streak coming to an end story. And before I could even get that back to you, I looked up and it was a five point game. Yeah. And I was like, okay, never mind. Uh, Kansas is coming all the way back to win this thing. Uh, it was, it was two possessions. They were down five. They, OU had chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. It took them like 12 minutes to get that 10 point lead. 
and in two possessions, it was five. And I was just like, that's it. It's, it's done. Well, the, the issue was not even the uh, – I, I don't think there was a point that I ever thought Oakland was actually going to win. There were enough points for me to just I, – I, the number of just ellipses I sent into our group chat of like, really? like Because uh, I think I texted Josh at one point, and it was like eight minutes left in the game, and I had two paragraphs written, and it was about Sam Godwin's first half contributions because everything else I was just like, you know, for this team – you could probably more times than not write about a close loss and you'll be fine and not have to put a bunch in the garbage can. And that one was like, well, let's let's hold on and just wait, because if they do happen to somehow, you know, be a blind squirrel and and come up with an acorn here in Fog Allen, like there will be a little bit of uh, clearing our throat and, and getting in an ivory tower and talking about history and all that stuff. Didn't happen. A lot's been made of the officiating. Uh, I think it's really important to note there's a difference between a tight, frustratingly officiated game, which that game absolutely was, and a difference between, oh, Kansas got all the whistles and Fog Allen. Oklahoma's bigs are bad at basketball. Tanner Groves is not athletic. Sam Godwin is not athletic. Jalen Hill is great, and he wasn't in foul trouble. Look at that. Sam Godwin and Tanner Groves Great contributions offensively, except for the very end of the game. Under the parameters of how that game was being officiated, those were all fouls. That's on them. This is Porter Moser's big problem. Last year, they had the least athletic team. He talked about in the final four minutes, they couldn't defend. Why? Because they wore down because they're slow, 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 slow. This year, Oklahoma has the least athletic team in the Big 12. They've got one win on the board, and it was because Texas Tech had, was without two of their top three players. This is not the Texas Tech teams that Chris Beard had, and they still almost blew that game. So this is not officiating. It was bad officiating as far as, like, ticky-tack, terrible to watch. This was not, oh, Kansas got the benefit of the doubt. Oklahoma was fouling under the parameters of how that game was being officiated. Time and score, they still can't do it. Yeah. They're not athletic. They Sherfield's... He's him by himself is not good enough to overpower anyone in the last two minutes in this conference. Cause it's the best conference in basketball. This is what it's going to be all year long. They're behind what they were last year. Cause they didn't have the Arkansas win. They've got an awful Sam Houston loss. This is a bad basketball team in the big 12 conference. I don't know what that makes you in the rest of college basketball, but you're not going to get a participation trophy and get to the NCAA tournament. Because you were the doormat of the Big 12. That's what this team is hurtling toward because they can't get it done in the last four minutes. They can't do it. They remind me a little bit, Ryan, of the Thunder. You guys watch a lot of Thunder. You know they're going to be in the game. They're going to play it close. They're going to be entertaining. It's going to be tight. But they're probably going to lose in Big 12 play. That's the way this team reminds me of. I'm still reserving judgment a a hair longer just because they – you know, you almost beat Texas, who's really good, top ten team. Iowa State is really good. Iowa State is sneaky, very good. They just hammered Texas Tech yesterday, and that was with Grant Sherfield giving you almost nothing in that game, and you almost beat Iowa State. You went on the road to Lubbock, which is a really hard place to play. You won in overtime, and then last night you did that in fog. Your guards are playing really well. Grant Sherfield seems to turn the corner. Milo Suzan is a star in the making. He's awesome. I. I you, you have to win the next three. That, that's where I'm kind of at. West Virginia at home, Bedlam in Stillwater, Baylor at home. Baylor's not usual Baylor. You got to win these. You got to win these next. You need next. I know that sounds like a lot to win three straight Big 12 games, but you need them. They're just, there's too many hard, 
hard games. I mean, Fog Allen is a scheduled loss. You're not. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot. That's just you pencil that in before the season starts. That's a tough you ask. Find a way to win these next three for a team that's zero two at home. That's a tough ask. It is. And it is. and again, I think that they had to have that game in Lubbock. They did. But let's not forget again. Texas Tech was missing probably their two best players, depending on what O'Banner does any given night. And Oklahoma was lucky to get out of that thing like because they blew that lead. They had a massive lead in Lubbock, exact same as Kansas. It evaporated. The difference is Kansas's players way better than Davion Harmon and the rest of Texas Tech, which it's no disrespect to Texas Tech. That's the number two team in the country. Like, duh. And like if it weren't for Jalen Hill coming alive in overtime, Oklahoma looked like they were going to lose in the first minute and a half of overtime. So, like Oklahoma got away with that one, which congrats you got that in the win call but they got away with it you shouldn't have to to scrape by and and win the lottery to beat texas tech missing two of their top three players because it's it's not chris beard's texas tech but i I do have this i would like to posit this to the oklahoma fan base we've heard over and over 1993 1993 all that stuff with the new teams coming in next year with scheduling there's no guarantee that oklahoma is going back to fog they might but there's no guarantee that it's going to be a home yeah. home round robin. The Sooners have quite literally never, ever won in Rupp Arena. So what is more impressive, notching your first win in Rupp or ending a streak at the Fog? Because I mean, I, look, never sounds a lot better than 1993 to me. That that's just what, that's what I would refocus toward. If I were an Oklahoma basketball fan, it probably will bring you less pain. That might have been their last chance to end that streak yeah. last night. Yeah, that pro- probably was. I mean, you only have probably one more year in the Big 12. I mean, I, I guess I won't say probably, but, I mean, going to Kansas next year is not at all a given. So we'll see how that goes. Rest of January, like I said, West Virginia at home, Bedlam and Stillwater, Baylor at home, at TCU, Alabama at home. You probably need four wins in that five, and that's asking a lot. But if you get four wins going to February, you're in good shape. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's asking a lot to get four wins, but you got to find a way to get four. You need to win these next three and split those two. Find a way because at some point you just the Big Twelve is too good. You have to find a way to win. You beat good teams at some point. I mean, just they're all good pretty much, but you got to find a way. We'll see. Yeah, we heard from the committee last year: <clears throat> playing a ton of quad one games and losing a ton of quad one games doesn't mean anything to the committee. You got you got to win some of those. Oklahoma, again, I keep doing the this year, last year thing because they were so close. They were right on that line. They're behind last year's pace already because of what they didn't do in non-conference and Big 12 track. Like we've seen this movie before in the Big 12. Should have won in Villanova. I mean, yeah, you're kicking yourself a few times right right now. And I do think they're probably overall better than last year, but that's how how, (laughs) it's how it goes sometimes. So we'll see how they do. West Virginia on Saturday, 11 a.m. tip. Ryan and I will be there in normal. See how that thing goes. As for the women to wrap up, uh, they've only played once since the last show. They played a night, I think, at Texas Tech, if I remember correctly. And they uh, beat Iowa State on Saturday, which is a really good win. We talked about it on the show last week with Ross. You know, that Baylor loss was really disappointing. Baylor's not Baylor like they usually are. And they will come into Norman, and you have a chance to kind of make a little bit of a statement, and you lose at home. Just not great, but you bounce back. You beat a good Iowa State team. They're ranked 11 in the AP poll coming into that game. So we'll see what they do. Uh, they have Texas Tech tonight as they try to kind of find their footing. And like we said last week on the show, the regular season in women's hoops is more important than the men because you really want that top four seed to get it home 
in the NCAA tournament. So these are all big games for them. We'll see how they do uh, moving forward. Yeah. Um, shocking that they beat Iowa State. It's been a long time since they've beaten Iowa State, I think, um, uh, especially in this uh, Jones era. Not, though, when you saw the really unfortunate thing that came out of this game, and, and this is probably what's going to be remembered for in the Big 12 race, is this This is the game where Iowa State's really good center, Stephanie Suarez, went down two minutes into the game out for the season. So 6-6, a center we know with Oklahoma women, that, that that's one of the spots where yeah. last year gave them a ton of problem if you have a dominant big, um, despite the fact that they beat Baylor twice with Melissa Smith in the regular season, which is – uh, great for Jeannie Bronchek and kind of head scratching when you kind of just put strengths and weaknesses. I, it It's an awful situation, but I think that helped Oklahoma a lot, not having to deal with her. So it's one of those things that you, you feel for her, but as far as, as the game has to go on, the show has to go on. That was a big boost for the Sooners for unfortunate an unfortunate injury to happen as it looked like the Cyclones were kind of shell-shocked for a little bit right after that. Yeah, this week's rankings, guys. Iowa State's number 15, four, fell four spots after that loss. Uh, Baylor's number 18. They climbed five spots after beating OU. Iowa, uh, Oklahoma fell two spots to number 19, and Kansas fell two spots to number 23. So that looks like uh, it's you know pretty stout, obviously. Oklahoma's got a, got a lot of work to do uh, in a very talented Big 12. Four teams ranked in the top 25. And you'll see one of them this weekend. They got Texas Tech tonight in Lubbock, and then Kansas comes to Norman on Saturday uh, afternoon, which is it's a doubleheader. Kind of weird. Don't get a lot of those, but the men play at 11, women play at 2. Um, so just spend your whole day at the Lloyd Noble Center. How amazing does that sound? So uh, that's coming up on Saturday if you're into that kind of thing. It, it, surely they're selling one ticket. If it's an hour in between, that's not enough time to clear out. You got to go one ticket, surely. Well, the real question is, Will I get forcibly removed during the walkthrough in between games? Because when it was flipped right. last year, I was asked to leave despite the because the media the workroom that's in the tunnel wasn't open. So we were sitting out there and they're like, hey, they don't really go through this walkthrough. And I'd be like, you're playing. It, it's a bye game. Like, I, I'm just trying to get this story done and drive to Waco, guys. Like, it, it's not that serious. <laughs> The bigger question may be, if you remember the season opener this year, they played a back-to-back, and they ran out of hot dogs, like, immediately. So the fans were upset. Um, well, the Noble Center is not ready for vast amounts of people. Remember the Texas game, which we were just talking about how great a crowd that was? They ran out of food, and, like, it was, like, 10 minutes left to go in the first half, and they were like, we're out of everything. <laughs> They're just not ready for big crowds. So maybe prepare better Saturday. Go ahead and load up. Because um, people... People want to buy food. If they're at a game, they buy food. It's what they do. I mean, it's lunchtime too. Our body clock says it's time to eat. Give me some. Give me some hot dogs. Give me some nachos. Exactly. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. We'll see if the Noble Center gives us breakfast, Ryan. I mean, ten a.m. I don't know. The the usual hot dogs and uh, pasta or whatever it is is uh, maybe not going to cut it at ten a.m. We'll have to see. Have to see. Chick fil A breakfast sandwich. I wish I'll take the we don't get that treatment at Lloyd Noble Center. <laughs> no pickles on a biscuit. I'll take that bad boy in a heartbeat. We don't get that kind of treatment at the Lloyd Noble Center. It's not quite as as bougie as football is. All right. <laughs> That's it for us. Um, packed show. We had a, so much to get through. It went long, but I think we covered most of our bases, and it was uh, good stuff. We'll get back on a more normal trajectory, I think, next week. And real quick, because we went long, of course, something was bound to happen. Yep. 
It's been reported by Matt Zenitz of On3 and Damian Washington, the interim wide receivers coach, had put out a, a statement on Twitter that had said this was a tough decision, which made you think he was headed out. Yeah. He is headed to Western Kentucky, per Matt Zenitz of On3. So I know we talked about the top, Brent Venables trying to see if they can keep him on an enhanced role, but makes a lot of sense for if you want to be a wide receivers coach, you want to be in a role that's on field. And uh, so that makes sense for Damian Washington. There you have it. Yeah, that was bound to happen, especially how crazy it is right now, This a show this long. It's amazing we got this far, uh, quite honestly, before that happens. So we'll go ahead and get out of here. Read more about that at allsooners.com. By the time you listen to this, there will be a story up on it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday wrapping up the latest from the transfer portal, the latest news, uh, all that, basketball, everything. You know the drill portal by now. closes next week. We've got the, got the NFL deadline on the 17th and the portal closes on the 18th. All right, so we should have some final show. decisions in. That's yeah. right. We'll, know, we'll have a much clearer picture of the OU roster at this time next week. So we'll break that down for you. Catch that show. iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon deal device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Let's post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the player list on your phone, your tablet, or your computer and listen to the shows as, or watch the shows as well on his YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it. We'll be back next Wednesday for 170. Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.